0: 14, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks be to well, last Sunday we started a, a new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Colossians. The Christians in Colossae, uh, an ancient city in Asia Minor, the what is now modern-day Turkey, and today we're going to be continuing in that study. And I'm going to be bringing something a little bit different today, really just working through this passage almost verse by verse and drawing out different observations and applications. But before we do that, let's ask for God's help together. So let's pray. God, we love you. And we love that you're a God who reveals himself to us, you're not a God of, 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 of secrets who conceals his will, his heart, his purposes, his desires for us. You, you reveal it. You, you explode with an eagerness to share yourself with us. That's who you are in the gospel. And so bring us now before your word with attentive ears, open eyes of our hearts, a readiness to receive from you, to be challenged by you to be humbled by you, to be encouraged by you, to be lifted up, all these things. So please come and send your spirit, lift up Jesus, and show us your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Love, love makes you eager to express your thanks to the people around you. As we saw last week, that's how Paul opened his letter to the Colossians. He said, we thank God for you. Every time we pray for you, we thank God for you because of your faith and because of your love. Love also makes you eager to pray for those around you. This whole passage, in fact, is about the prayers that Paul prays on a regular basis for his friends. He writes in verse 9, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. And so immediately already, we're encouraged by this passage of Scripture to practice persistent prayer for one another. To, to persist in prayer, to keep on going in prayer without giving up. It raises a question already. Who do you need to pray for this week? Just yesterday, uh, my family and I, we enjoyed a, a great block party that, that a bunch of our neighbors and, and we threw together on the block. A great way to start off the fall. And I, and I feel compelled to pray more. For my neighbors, the people that live immediately around me on my block this week. Who do you need to be praying for this week? Because, you know, prayer is one of the greatest gifts of love that we can offer one another. You say, how so? It's because in prayer we are pleading to God, pleading with God to do good to our brothers and to our sisters. To do what, what we, with all of our human lim- limitations, despite our best intentions, what we can't do for them. God, you need to do it. God, you need to heal them. God, you need to forgive them. God, you need to grow their faith. God, you need to supply for their nearly impossible set of needs. God, you need to part the clouds of their depression. Prayer as such is a great and incredible gift of love to those for whom we pray. So as we consider who we need to pray for, think of it this way. Who do you need to love in and through prayer? And the promise of Scripture joined together with the testimony of so many saints across the centuries is that God hears our persistent prayers. God hears our persistent prayers. So what are you waiting for? You may know the story of George Mueller, who was an English Christian some time ago who built many orphanages. And who came to be known for his notable perseverance in prayer. One of the best examples we have. For example, in 1844, he writes that he began praying for five individuals, five people in his life, that they would come to know Jesus one day. And he prayed, according to his autobiography as he writes about this, he prayed every day without a single intermission, he says. And then guess what? 18 months later, not a short time, but 18 months later, his prayer was answered for the first of the five. This individual came to know Jesus and his love. And so George kept praying for the others, kept praying and praying and praying and praying some more. And then, and then five years later, the second person came to, to see and receive the love and the beauty of Christ. And so George Mueller gave thanks to God, of course, and then he kept praying some more, day after day. And then six years passed before the third friend was converted. And 36 years later, Mueller wrote in his journal that he was still, 36 years later, still praying every day for the other two who were sons of of Mueller's dear friends. And he wrote this, But I hope in God I pray on and look for the answer. Beloved, keep on praying and don't give up. But what is it that Paul prays for as he gives this gift of love, prayer, to His brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, what is it that he specifically prays for? Well, he tells us in the middle of verse 9. We continually ask God, he says, to fill you. This is Paul's headline prayer. Lots of other pieces to his prayer. But this is the main thesis, his headline prayer, that God would fill them. Why? is this his main request? It's because apparently there were false teachers that were roaming around the church at that time who were telling the Colossians, yeah, Jesus is nice. And that gospel that you've heard from Paul, I mean, it's a good start. But you know, you don't even realize you're actually running on a half Tank. Here is something better than Jesus. You know, let me, let me give you some more religion, something more and beyond than Jesus, so that you might really start to live a filled and fulfilled spiritual life. Now, we may or may not have literal false teachers roaming around in our community, speaking into our ears, but here's how I think this idea does connect with every single one of us, and it's this, that too often, and maybe for you even today, we feel empty. And we're desperate for something, anything, to make us feel full. We feel empty, so we desperately try to fill our hearts, our lives, even if we find ourselves filling them with toxic relationships. Filling them with busyness. Filling the emptiness with just, just productivity. Keep on moving so I feel more full. We, we fill the emptiness with pleasure and escape. In the words of Scottish novelist Bruce Marshall, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. We'll fill our hearts And fill the emptiness with just about anything, won't we? We'll fill the emptiness with material things, like nicer phones or bigger homes. Or even lovely things, like travel or children. We are desperate to feel full. Yet none of these efforts, this striving, ever works, does it? Because it's a void that God alone can fill. As Blaise Pascal once put it, this infinite abyss within us can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. God himself. And this is precisely what Paul prays that we would be filled with God, more of God, All of God. In fact, five times in this passage, he uses the Greek word that's often translated all or every. All wisdom, all power, all endurance. He's really trying to make this point that his prayer, his desire, is that we would be filled with all of God. And that's exactly what he offers you and me without holding back, with divine generosity. Every spiritual blessing that can be found in Christ Jesus, it's yours. Hallelujah. I mean, have you ever tried to pack a moving truck? Always a miserable endeavor. And you're sort of packing the truck with the furniture and the boxes and the knickknacks. And then midway, you look up and you're like, oh. I don't know if we're ever going to fit all this stuff in there. I mean, it, it can be really bad and discouraging, right? I mean, one time, Paula and I, in one of our moves, we had so much stuff that our moving guy was mad at us. I mean, how much stuff do you need to have when a guy who's being paid to is mad at you for having too much stuff? That's how, and you sit there and you're like, it's not going to fit. Well, here's Paul in his prayer. He's jamming in the moving truck of his intercession. And he's saying, look, and this blessing and this part of God and this glory and his forgiveness and his kindness and his patience and his love and all of Jesus and Father said, let's pack the truck. Because we're going to move it all into your soul and fill you up. And this is exactly what God offers us. His overflowing, his abundant, his superlative blessings in christ don't you know it's all yours all of it let's drill down deeper let's keep drilling down deeper what specifically does paul pray that god would fill us with look at verse nine again we continually ask god to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He's asking that God would fill us with the knowledge of God's will. Now, at first, this might sound to people like God that Paul is praying, I I, I pray you'll come to know what job to take, you know, God's will, right? Or or where to live, Or, or, or whether to break up with your boyfriend, Uh, that's normally what comes to mind when people talk about the will of God, isn't it? But see, in the New Testament, God's will, that phrase, that word is even bigger than that because it actually refers to all the plans and desires of God. All of his plans and his desires for his people. In other words, what is God doing And what does God want? That is what Paul is praying that they would come to know and be filled with. And dear friends, this is one of the sweetest prayers to pray if you understand that what he's really asking for, hoping for, seeking, praying for, is that they would have an intimate knowledge of the heart of God. Recently, my family and I, we just pulled out of a a pretty intensive stretch of consecutive birthdays all across our family. I mean, almost all of our birthdays are just clustered around about a a four-week period, and and it's a little crazy. So what we found ourselves doing a lot of is sort of trying to figure out what kind of gifts we should give to one another. And, And that takes a little bit of skill. That takes a little bit of knowing, doesn't it? And what do you do when you're thinking about a person and you want to give them a good gift that pleases them and that lifts them up or that's a blessing to them? You, you, you say things like, I wonder what they want uh, or, or, I, or I wonder what they plan on doing in the coming months or the coming year if you want to be helpful, right? So you're, you're, guess what? You're considering their will their desires, their plans, and you're seeking to learn more about them in order that you might be able to give them a gift that fits their heart. Well, this is exactly what Paul is praying, that more and more we might be filled up with a knowledge of God's heart, what God wants, what God desires, and what his purposes are, in this world and for you and me. And what are those purposes? Well, guess what? He's told us in the Bible. You don't have to guess. He, he longs that all people would be saved. He, he longs that you would see with the eyes of your heart the, the unchanging and unconditional, eternal love of God through Christ. He longs for you to understand that he loves the poor, That he he lifts up the lowly. That he's a God who who gives grace to the weak. Uh, That his purposes are always to redeem, to bring life into circumstances of death, to shine light into darkness. He's a God of both grace and truth. He's a God who forgives our sins and then gives us grace and power to change us out of those patterns and habits of sin. He's a God who actually by his purposes has set into motion the complete destruction and defeat of death itself. One day he's coming back. He's told us his plan. He's told us his purposes. He's told us his desires. He's coming back in order to consummate the salvation that he set in motion so that this world would be made into the perfect place and you in Christ would be made into the perfect person that he created you and this world to be. Rid of sin, rid of tears, rid of death and brokenness and disease and decay and broken relationships and injustice and all the things that bring us to our knees and bring us to tears. This is the heart of God. This is the desire and the plan of God, and this is what Paul says. He prays that you and I would be filled up with, that moving truck of all that God is for us would be poured into our lives. Which is another way of saying, I want you to to be so near to God and what makes His heart throb that if it were God's birthday, work with me here, you would know exactly what He would want. That kind of intimate knowledge of and walking with the God of the universe. Do you pray like that do you pray for that for yourself do you pray for that for those around you I know we rightly pray for the hard circumstances that our friends and loved ones are in we should pray that God would heal us from physical sickness or that God would help us in our hard decisions and and hard circumstances yes keep praying for that the Bible tells us we should but do we along with that pray God, even in that trial or even in that need, would you please fill this brother whom I love, this sister whom I would die for. Would you please fill them with an intimate knowledge of your desires and of your plans so that they would know how much you love them and what you offer them and what you're doing in this world and even what you're doing with them, making them more like Jesus even in their sickness. So heal them and make them more like Jesus, amen. Pray like Paul prays, shall we? Tell me then, what comes as a result of being filled with the knowledge of God's will? Okay, so he prays this. I pray that you would be filled, because we feel empty, with the knowledge of God's will so we would know God's heart and his desires and his plans and purposes. And then what? What from there? You just feel good about yourself? See, because sometimes... When you know more about God or you think you know more about God, it can just make you proud, arrogant, and really obnoxious. As the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 13, by itself, knowledge, even knowledge of God, it puffs up. Breaks relationships, divides, and makes you really annoying. But listen to what Paul prays specifically. He's saying, I, I pray that you would be filled up with a knowledge of God's will, his heart, so that it would change how we live. So that it would change our behavior, the very pattern of our lives. I mean, this is what he says. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Why? Verse 10. So that you may... Live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. In other words, why do we pray? Why do we long for, seek for God to fill us in our emptiness with a knowledge of God's heart so that our lives can be changed in such a way that we will honor God as he deserves and please God. He cherishes us all the more in his heart. I mean, friends, this is just wild if you pause for a second. Did you know that you, me, little us, sometimes terrible us, by God's grace, you and I have the capacity to please God? Some of us understand that idea sort of, but we live sometimes so many minutes of the day to please other people, people pleasing. Others of us are growing out of a habit of living only to please ourselves. Here's something different. You can please God. Bring delight and joy to the heart of the God of the universe. As your life is formed and reformed more and more by the will of God. Do you know that in Christ, as he fills you more and more with his spirit and changes your life in accordance with his will, do you know that more and more you have a God that you're coming to know and see, a God who gazes upon you and smiles smiles what kind of god is this but what kind of life is it more specifically that honors god and pleases god let's unpack this And here Paul lists off three things in the remainder of our passage. Three things specifically that he says works in the direction of honoring and pleasing God as we are filled in our emptiness with a knowledge of God's will, intimately knowing his heart, his desires, his plans and purposes. What kind of life pattern is it? Three things, knowing and doing. Suffering with endurance. And thanking God for our salvation. Let's unpack each of these. First, doing and knowing. Verse 10, he says that we'll live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. The apostle here is describing a life that abounds in good works. Just like a healthy tree abounds in fruit. This is a life that honors God and pleases God. A life that abounds with good works like a healthy tree abounds in love. After all, as he says also in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not long ago, earlier in the summer, our family, we went out to an orchard out in Maryland. Maybe you've gone to one of these places where you can pay a little bit and then pick fruit, you know, where you can pretend you don't live in a city that you know what a tree is. <laughs> you, you actually know how to pick fruit even though you're awkward about it, Right. So you go and you, whether if it's apples or if it's peaches, well on this day we picked a couple of things, but most of all, most joyfully of all, delightfully for us, I think, was the picking of blackberries. We turned the corner, went down to these rows and rows of these blackberry trees, bushes that were just like these bushes filled with these little blackberry things, which we of course had seen before and eaten before. We've gotten them from the grocery store, but we've never seen it quite like this. They they were almost falling off. The branches, so many of them were just dangling barely. You could almost just flick it with your finger. They'd fall into your hand. So abounding in fruit were these bushes. And, of course, we'd pick them and put them into our mouth, and we would say, oh, my gosh, this is so yummy. And then, you know, we'd eat them and then kind of look around, making sure we weren't breaking any rules, right? Eating and enjoying the abundance of this fruit. And this is what Paul says happens when our lives are changed by the grace of God. Of God, and this is a life that pleases God—one that abounds in works of love. Where you're, you're, you've just got blackberry after blackberry just hanging off your life, right? Uh, it's just like falling off. You could just tap me, and but you got fruit on the ground. So lavish is the work of God in my life. So so teeming with the love of Christ, abounding in sacrificial deeds, right? with, with the sweet works of the Holy Spirit, works of kindness, faithfulness in your job, uh, uh, sacrificial gestures of care to your next-door neighbors, uh, forgiveness of big things and little things, of, of people that irk you or that even harm you, love of your friend and of your enemies, A a, a steadfastness of the truth even when you're being questioned and and doubted. A, A will to reconcile when reconciliation is painful and difficult and unattractive. Again and again, Paul calls us to a life that abounds in good works. And he also says this is paired with growing in the knowledge of God. And here it's interesting to me that the good works clause comes before the the knowledge of God clause. And I wonder if Paul paired these two ideas together and in this particular sequence in order to indicate to us that sometimes the more you actually live a life that teems, abounds in works of love, you actually, through that, come to know God more. In other words, sometimes we think that what we need uh, to learn about God more is to read a book about God's love, and sometimes we do need that. But sometimes what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do is to go out and try to love a friend that's hard to love. And that's going to be the best textbook for you. The best way for you to learn lessons of love or lessons of forgiveness or lessons of faithfulness. Doing and knowing. What else honors and pleases God? Second, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. In other words, in the face of hardship and suffering, you, you know what really pleases God and honors him? When you receive His unlimited power, and you keep on going in faith and in faithfulness and in love. Many of you are going through a time of hardship or pain right now. Do you know what we most need in these times? This is stunning because it runs right against the grain of how we normally think about or process pain and suffering in our lives and in the lives of those around us whom we love. Paul, notice, doesn't pray that his Colossian brothers and sisters would be kept from all suffering. He does not pray that they would be rescued from all pain in their lives. Instead, he prays that they would be strengthened by the grace of God, to keep going in following Jesus. That he calls upon all the limitless might of God, he says. That that strength would fill you in your weakness, in your limitations, so that by all the limitless power of God that you would be able to Endure all sufferings with perseverance and with patience and even somehow with joy. And remember, Paul's not talking like a fool. He is writing this while being imprisoned himself for his faith. We want rescue out of our sufferings. Jesus promises his presence in our sufferings. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there you are with me. Better to be in the valley of the shadow of death with God, with you, than to not be in the valley and have no God. Jesus gives us something better. His own presence. His own hand. Leading us in the darkness intimately. And with might. We want rescue out of our sufferings. Jesus gives us what we need through the sufferings the endurance of our faith. Jonathan Charks, he's a sports writer for The Ringer, wrote these words. In his blog in July of last year, I found them to be really helpful. He wrote this, Life is hard. It humbles all of us. Everyone is going through something, even if it's not always obvious on the outside. The hope isn't that all the pain and suffering will go away tomorrow. It's that it will ultimately be redeemed by God. And those words, for all their wisdom in itself, They carry special weight knowing that he wrote them, in fact, just three months after being diagnosed with an extremely rare form of sarcoma cancer. And in fact, he passed away just last Sunday. He's with Jesus now. But when I've looked at his life, it's just amazing even the way that he spent this past year not only talking and processing out loud about his faith in Christ and doing so honestly, about even the ways that it felt like his faith faltered at times, questions and doubts that emerge in his mind, but to see in the way in which he continued with endurance and patience to keep on going with Jesus even when things felt impossible. You see it, in fact, in the way that so many friends and colleagues today testify to his care, his friendship, his, his love. See, because Tarks, even during this last year, continued faithfully to do what he felt called to do. To be a husband to his wife, a child to his now two-year-old son. To be a, a, a hard-working colleague, uh, writing and commenting on on NBA news, as he felt called to do, and doing so effectively and fruitfully. See, he he was enduring with the limitless might of God, all the power of the glorious might of, of Christ, verse 11. And God gave him grace to endure with great endurance and patience and sometimes even with joy his suffering. It's an amazing thing what God can do in our hard times. We need to hear this word. What God can do not despite those trials, but in them and through them. This is the second of the patterns of life that Paul says brings honor and pleasure to the heart of God, a life, of team, a life that teems with the fruit of good works and knowledge of God. And then secondly, a, a life that endures suffering faithfully. And thirdly, a life that's filled with joyful thanksgiving that's given to the Father. And we'll close with this. Uh, Paul almost can't help himself. He, He says, this is what really pleases God, to give thanks to God again and again for all that he's been and all that he's done for us. He points us to the rescue that we receive in the gospel. Sinners though we are, helpless though we are, unable to save and rescue ourselves though we are. Verse 13, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sun he loves. And this kingdom in verse 12, he calls it a kingdom of light. This is a citizenship transfer. Jesus doesn't just give you a little bit of spiritual Gatorade to give you more strength to get through the day. He transfers you from a kingdom of darkness and despair and death and moves you into a place that most of all is characterized by light. The hope of life. You belong now in Jesus if you've received him in that kingdom. Though the vestiges and the poison of that other kingdom does continue to intrude even today. But he's rescued us. We're helpless. He had to come and do it, but he did it at a price to himself. Because love comes at a cost. Paul uses this word, redemption, Verse 14, the son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is a word of a price that was paid to liberate slaves. Emancipation. What was that price? It was Jesus' death on the cross. Dying the death that we should have died. Living the life that we should have lived. As we sung about it earlier, Jesus paid it all. So all to him I owe. And so in reception of this gift, we receive then the forgiveness of all of our sins. The forgiveness of all of your sins. Jesus remembers them no more because he paid for them all. Do you know with full assurance of faith today that your sins are forgiven? And not only that he's forgiven us of our sins, Paul reminds us that he's brought us into his family and made you his child. Which is good news, of course, just to know with affection that you have a heavenly father and you have a family. But listen, it's a different story when you know your daddy's the king. Verse 12, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, and what kind of inheritance do you think this king has? We heard this past week the news of the passing of Queen Elizabeth and with her passing, the coronation of his father, of, uh, of her son, King Charles, and, and with his ascension to the throne. We've also heard the news of Prince William inheriting, among other things, An 140,000-acre estate in southwestern England that's worth $1.2 billion, which is just a mind-boggling sum of money, of course. But more than that, what's stunning is just like that, just it's his, not because of what he's done Not because of how he's executed his duties, not because of any works, as it were, but simply by virtue of his relationship to his father, and in this case, his grandmother. In other words, this is how the gospel works. You get all the riches of the spiritual inheritance of Christ, in fact, which belongs to the Son of God alone, and you receive it not as wages that you've earned, but as an inheritance that's given you simply because you're a child of God. That's grace. He's qualified you, the unqualified, for this inheritance. And I've got to state the obvious. That $1.2 billion is no match for all the riches and glory that Christ has in store for you. I mean, that news was newsworthy. Let me give you even bigger news. You inherit the kingdom of God. You are an heir of heaven itself. You have in your possession the very heart and the mind of God. You have eternity in store for you and all the blessings of Christ. You're rich because you're a daughter, because you're a son. Oh, beloved, there's so much here in these few short verses. Paul is modeling for us a way of praying, a way of praying that, that God would fill us in all our emptiness with a knowledge of his will, his desires and plans, that he would fill us with a knowledge of God's will so that we might live a life that's worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, and that we might do that, please him and honor him in our knowing and our doing lives of fruitful, good deeds of love, and in our suffering with endurance, and in our giving thanks to God always for our great salvation. And that we would persevere and persist in praying in this way, praying for one another as an act of love, that this would be true not only of yourself, but also those around you. Will we pray Like this. I didn't get to finish the story about George Mueller and his ceaseless prayers. If you were keeping count, I told you about three of the five individuals. What about the other two? One day in 1897, 52 years after George Mueller began to pray daily for those five people the final two individuals put their trust in Jesus for the first time. 52 years later, after praying daily. But here's what's remarkable. 52 years later, that was after George Mueller had died. We may not know when or how God might answer our prayer. We may not know when or how God might answer our prayers, but you and I can rest assured and even die assured that you will have never prayed in vain. So don't stop. Don't quit. God never quits in his love for you and me. Let's pray. Send us your spirit, oh God, and help us to believe these things to be true. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite Pastor Yancey Ford to lead us in communion.
1: Once we come to the table, we come to the one who has instituted this table, Jesus himself, the change agent, the one who transformed our lives. And this is another way that we can grow deeper in the pleasures of God. This, what is called means of grace, a means by which we are reminded of the truth of who we are as heirs, our inheritance in Jesus, and also that he comforts us along the way he is our encouragement along the way in this life and he feasts us at this table so we're reminded afresh of his gospel of grace at the table we have a table here and two at the back on either side uh you'll find wine and juice bread crackers for those who are allergies uh, we do have the elements packaged together as well um, we invite you to come to the table if you're about halfway back come to this table uh well halfway towards the front, come to this table on either side. And if you're halfway towards the back on either side, there's a table for you there. And for those in the balcony, there's a table in the hallway there for you. Let me say a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you. What else can we say? You've given your all to us. And you have placed all within our hearts. So, thank you. Come, bless us afresh as we partake the elements that you have provided for for us we do this in your name amen Friends, I want to invite you to come indeed and partake of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, receiving spiritual nourishment. Uh, This table is for sinners who know their need for Jesus. So I invite you to come now.